Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. Church. Enjoy the message. Come on, grab your Bible. We're going to go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Um, and I am going to preach chapter 7 of my book, Brainwashed. I wrote a book that came out last year, uh, and the title of the book is Brainwashed. Everybody say brain. Brainwashed. I wrote this book, and we're going to get real close real fast. Um, I wrote this book to help people overcome toxic thoughts and to take back control of their mind. I want to tell you right now, your mind is the most powerful tool you have. The reason that the enemy wants to attack you with anxiety and depression and confusion is because your mind is the most powerful tool you have. I don't know if you've ever heard this statistic that over 90% of people who win the lottery end up going broke within three to five years. Why? Because they never had a money problem. They had a mind problem. They had a problem with the way they thought about money. They thought about finances. And God could bippity-boppity-boo you into freedom. But guess what? You will find your way back into being in bondage if you don't get your mind right. I need a good amen in church. Your mind, as a man thinketh, Proverbs chapter 20. Uh, 7 verse 3, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You are a reflection of your most inner thoughts. The thoughts that you entertain, you don't get to say, well, it doesn't hurt anybody. My mind is mine, my own. No, no, no. Your mind doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. Your mind doesn't belong to depression. It belongs to God. Your mind doesn't belong to anxiety. It belongs to God. Come on. Your mind doesn't belong to comparison or insecurity. Your mind belongs to God. Your mind doesn't belong to confusion. Your mind belongs to God. You can think your way into freedom. You can think your way into health. You can think your way into prosperity. Come on. You can think your way into everything that God wants you to have. My story is that my dad was incarcerated for 18 years. Uh, My dad took me to a crack house for the first time when I was five years old. Uh, My dad has struggled with a drug addiction my entire life. My mother was pregnant with my older sister at 12 years old, gave birth at 13, was pregnant again with my older brother at 14, gave birth at 15. Three of my aunts are prostitutes, five of my uncles are alcoholics. My grandmama still sells cocaine out of an ice cream truck in Miami to this day. Uh, I'm the first Orango to graduate from college. I'm the first Orango to get a master's degree. By this time next year, I'll be the first Orango with a doctorate. Come on. I'm the first Orango with employees. I'm the first Orango to be a property owner. I'm the first Orango to have kids after marriage, not before marriage. Because when you stand before God, you are not going to be able to blame your uncle or blame your mama or blame your father. At some point, you're going to have to take responsibility over your life. And I grew up in a family that wanted to brainwash me, wanted me to believe I was a victim, wanted me to be brainwashed with poverty mentality. But when I became a believer, I actually believed that the invitation that Jesus gave to Nicodemus was the same invitation he was giving to me, which is you can be born again. So I get it. You was born into a dysfunctional family, but God wants you to be born again. I get it. You were born to some people who were confused and depressed and anxious and jacked up, but you can be born again. 
And God doesn't judge me based on my first birth. He judges me based on my rebirth. God gives me the option to renew my mind and get my mind free. The reason I was able to overcome the, the hurdle of depression and anxiety and insecurity and victim mentality and poverty mentality is, is, is because I finally took control over how I thought. I didn't overcome all, that th all those things because Manny Arango is incredible. No, I overcame all those things because the word of God is true. And when you allow the word of God to brainwash you, God says, although your family of origin wants to brainwash you, oh, whew, hope I got a good amen right here. Culture wants to brainwash you. We can't even go into Target anymore without culture trying to brainwash us. Jesus Christ. Anyway, five people said amen. Okay. I hope that's not too controversial for y'all. Okay. Culture's trying to brainwash you with all kinds of ideas. Well, guess what? We got good news. God is also trying to brainwash you. He's trying to brainwash you with the water of the word and with the blood of the lamb. He wants to brainwash you. And so I'm going to preach chapter 7. And I didn't say this in the first service. I'll say this in this service because I'm getting better every service. Uh, that first service real early. That's, that's the, the real Christians come to that one. I know who's really saved at this church. They was at that 8 a.m., okay? Them people are saved, okay? Y'all, it probably gets less and less saved throughout the day, you know what I'm saying? So you're, you're, you're still good. You're still good. Here we go. Uh, I'm, I'm preaching chapter 7 of, of my book, Brainwashed, this morning, and I'm actually going to preach a different portion of the book tonight at the 5. So I'm preaching a whole new message at the 5. So I'm preaching one sermon all day for the morning services and a whole new message at the five. So if there was ever a Sunday to double dip, this is the Sunday to double dip, okay? Come back to the five. Uh, there's blessings awaiting if you come back to the five. The real Christians will come to church two times today. So totally different sermon at the five, and I know the sermon I'm preaching at the five, and I think that the sermon that I preach at the five o'clock will really minister to you. I think it'll help you. Um, let's go to the Bible. Come on. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. If there's a word that I don't say, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to say the word that I don't say, kind of like fill in the blank, um, because <laughs> we're black and we talk at church. Okay, let's go. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. One day Jesus. Said. That was half of y'all. Okay, one day Jesus. Said. There we go. To his disciples, let us go over. to the other Five. of the. Eight. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. Okay, pause real quick. I want, okay, all the Pharisees, you are dismissed. But for all the Planet Fitness No Judgment Zone Christians, okay, <laughs> I wonder if this relates to you. Anybody ever get frustrated that God is wide awake when life is good? But got the nerve to go to sleep in the middle of my storm. In the middle of my drama, in the middle of my issue, in the middle of my valley, in the middle of my sickness, in the middle of my disappointment, Jesus is knocked out. I'd rather trade it. Like, hey, Jesus, how about we time your naps a little better? <laughs> Sleep when life's going good. When it's rainbows and butterflies, when I got momentum, that's when you go to sleep. But when we're in a storm, that's when I need you the most. <laughs> when we're in a storm, focus. <laughs> Stay awake. <laughs> okay. Anybody, come on. Is this, am I preaching to myself? Like, anybody who's ever get frustrated 
Oh my God, when life's going well, I can open up my Bible. I feel like the Holy Spirit's talking. I feel like every worship song is just hitting in a different way. I just, I, just, I just feel like when life's going good, there's something about there's an open heaven and, and God's talking. And I can feel the Spirit and I can feel His presence. And then I start going through storms. It's like, Jesus, where you at? <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> I'd rather have you awake when life's going great. And I'd rather you go to sleep. I'd rather have you awake when life's going bad. And I'd rather you go to sleep when life's going great. Okay, we're going to open up that tab on our browser because I got ADHD. And we're going to come back to it. Come on, let's keep reading the Bible. Verse 24. The disciples went and woke him, saying what? Master, master, we're going to? He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Okay, we're about to open up another tab. You ready? Yeah. Sam was ready, and I brought him, so that don't even count. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. Okay, here we go. We're going to open up one more tab. All the good parents know this. No judgment if you're not a good parent. All the good parents know this. You can't rebuke ignorance. You instruct ignorance, and you rebuke rebellion. A child's not in rebellion until they know better. But once they know better, now I can hold them accountable for what they know. Come on. I got a two-year-old, and parenting is the, is the mirror. It's like, why he do that? Because you do that. <laughs> why did he say that new word? Because you be saying that word, okay? Parenting is just walking around with a big old selfie all day long, okay? So I have to instruct ignorance. And then once ignorance has been instructed, then and only then can I rebuke or bring discipline to what's in rebellion. This is an odd verse because it says that Jesus doesn't just calm the storm. He rebukes it. Jesus, why are you rebuking the wind, bro? The wind is just winding. You're rebuking water. The water's just watering. Rebuking a storm. The storm is just storming. So what is it about this storm that needs to be rebuked? And not just calmed. We're going to open up that tab. We'll close both of those tabs before the sermon's over. Come on, let's keep going. Verse 25. We're actually going to center our attention around verse 25. Where is your faith? He asks his disciples. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water. And they obey. obey him. Come on, let's pray. God, we ask you to add a blessing to the reading of your word. God, I've got a sermon, but you have a message. So, God, I ask that the Holy Spirit would speak today. God, we take divine authority over every eye, ear, and heart, and we say that scales fall today to see you. God, ears be open to hear you, and hearts be softened to receive a word and to receive the seed of the word of God that can produce the fruit of righteousness in our life. God, we need you. Uh, God, I ask that you would help me to preach this with power, precision, and clarity. We don't want anybody leaving church today saying, man, the guest speaker spoke a good word. But we want everyone leaving today saying the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a unique way. God, take all the generalities from stage, make them specific to every person. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, and we all say together, amen, amen, amen. amen. Jesus asked a very, very pivotal question. Okay, in this passage, in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 25, Jesus says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? That, that's a fascinating question because I think a lot of us assume that what Jesus is saying is y'all don't have a lot of faith. 
Anybody ever just assume that that's what Jesus means by his words? But, but, but th that is actually not what Jesus means by his words because Jesus is very good at measuring and quantifying faith. He does it all throughout the Gospels. To the centurion, he rose up and said, dang, bro, you have great faith. Anybody remember that passage? Yeah. To the one with the issue of blood, he's like, your faith made you well. And then I love this. This is the, be the best backhanded compliment in the whole Bible. There is a time where he says to the disciples, you have little faith. But here's what he says afterwards. He says, even faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Which is like God's way of saying, your faith is trash, but it'll work. <laughs> God, your faith is small, but it'll do. You know, this is a great backhanded compliment. So Jesus knows how to what? Measure faith. Luke chapter 8 is not about the measurement of faith. It's about the misplacement of faith. Jesus doesn't say you don't have a lot of faith. He actually asks a more relevant question. He says, where is your faith? If I rolled up on you and said, where is your car? That means you have a car. If I said, where is your house? That means you have a house. If I said, where is your husband? That means you have a husband. So when Jesus says, where is your faith? It means they have faith. Oh, Jesus wakes up and he feels the power of faith operating on the boat. Uh-oh, but the only problem is that misplaced faith will not bring life into your existence. Misplaced faith will not bring joy or peace into your life. Misplaced faith is always going to bring doom and disaster and destruction into your life. Oh, I'm going to preach this like I feel it. Because I got a question to ask you today. Where is your faith? Is your faith in your 401k? Or is your faith in the fact that he's Jehovah Jireh? Is your faith in your job? Or is your faith in the fact... I hope that maybe a pandemic has taught us that even through unemployment, God can be faithful. That even when I'm laid off from my job, that God has a way of providing more than enough for all of my needs. I wonder, is there anybody dating today and you've made the mistake of putting your faith in a boyfriend? I'm going to tell you right now, you're building your life on sinking sand, not on the firm foundation. Because all that joker got to do is cheat on you. And now all of a sudden, your house of cards called your confidence comes crazy crashing down because you built your faith on likes and admiration and acceptance instead of building your life on the fact that God says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And God says, I've knit you together in your mother's womb. I don't need to ask nobody, do I look cute in this? I know I look cute in this. Why? Because I got a confidence that goes deeper than whether or not you like me or affirm me. Oh, come on. I'm preaching good. For all the millennials, uh-oh, I'm about to step on your toes, but you can get a pedicure tomorrow, it's okay. <laughs> For all the millennials, we've got this epidemic of Christian millennials leaving church because a pastor cheated on their wife. Let me tell you right now, I'm not condoning sin. Cheat on your wife is wrong. But let me tell you why I'm going to be in church. It's because Jesus is faithful to his bride. Because my faith ain't built on a man with a microphone who's anointed and gifted. My faith is in the fact that Jesus shed his blood on Calvary for me to be in a relationship with him. And the church ain't a non-negotiable. Oh, the church is non-negotiable. Don't act like you ain't ever met these people who are like, I got my own relationship with God. You know what I'm saying? I don't need to be in church. I know God. I got a relationship with God. Show me a Bible verse for that. The church, come on, there we go. Give me an air five. One, two, three, boom. I like you. You black till midnight. Let's go. Come on. 
The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. If you rolled up on me and said, Pastor Manny, I would love for you to mentor me. I would love for you to disciple me. I would really love for you to pastor me, but I don't like your wife. She is ugly and bald and ashy. <laughs> and she got an attitude. I would say, well, good luck. You need to find somebody else to disciple you because I would be a bad husband to entertain a relationship with you and let you disrespect my bride. How much more would Jesus not entertain no relationships with people who don't want to be in a relationship with his bride? The bride is a non-negotiable. I'm not leaving church because they stole some money and they cheated on people. No, no, no. I'm not in church because the pastor's blood saved me and I ain't leaving church because the pastor did nothing wrong. I'm going to be in church volunteering, tithing, giving, and saying amen in the middle of the sermon because my faith is not in anything that's temporary. My faith is in something that's eternal. Where is your faith? And nothing reveals where your faith is like a storm. Oh, the church that I grew up in didn't just believe in getting you saved, and they believed in holistic ministry. So the men who mentored me taught me how to buy real estate. And they, it would, I would grow up in Boston, Massachusetts, rainiest day of the year when it was, I mean, pouring, like, raining like cats and dogs. They'd be like, oh, this is a good day to go buy some real estate. I'd be like, why? They'd get me in the car, and they'd be like, because any house can look good when the sun is shining. Any, any house looks good when the weather's good. We go look at houses in the middle of the rain, because we want to look at the foundation. We want to see if, if, the, if, the, if, the, if it's leaky. We want to see whether or not water's coming up through the bottom of the house. We want to look at the roof. We want to, we want to, we want to go up to the attic. We want to see whether or not the rain. We want to see how the storm is affecting what's been built. Can I ask you a question today? Come on. We got to ask the question. Where is your faith? Be, be, because the, the disciples, they, they give us a big blues clue as to where their faith is. Uh, give, me, give me Luke chapter 8, verse 20, uh, verse 24. Verse 24. The disciples tell us exactly where their faith is. You, look at this. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we gonna drown. We gonna drown. Now, I need you to see this. They don't roll up on Jesus like, we may drown. <laughs> hey, uh, Jesus, please wake up. Uh, context clues would suggest that drowning is a possibility. No, I want you to, I want you to see the confidence that they have. How sure they are. How certain they are. How much conviction they got. In a negative thing that's about to happen. We gonna drown. You know what? A lot of you, you got a whole lot of faith. You got so much faith it's made you anxious. Uh-oh. Oh, I'm coming for your life. I'm coming for your life. Just get ready. Gird your loins. Let's go. Because faith is not a positive or negative thing. Faith is a neutral thing. And what you put your faith in is going to determine whether or not faith works for you or against you. You can't even be anxious without faith. You think you met a creative person when you met a fashion designer? No. You, met, you think you met a creative person when, you, when you've interacted with a videographer or a graphic designer? No. Let me tell you the most creative person you know. An anxious person. I was quiet in this Presbyterian church. An anxious person has created scenarios for tomorrow. 
They have created scenarios for next week. They have created entire, they've created a reality. They, 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 anxious people have been doing VR for years. <laughs> anxious people have a whole virtual reality in their imagination for next year, 10 years from now. If the election go this way, I'm moving to Canada. Like you have created entire worlds of things that have not happened yet. You know what it takes to be anxious? It takes an imagination. It takes creativity, which means you have used your God-given tool, which is your imagination and your creativity, which you should be using to create belief. And you have created anxiety because you have chosen to go into tomorrow, create a world that does not exist right now, and come back into today with so much belief in the world you created that you make it happen in real time. That's called faith. And if you can go into tomorrow and create a world that has not existed and bring it back into today, that means you've got the power of faith. And if you can do that for the negative, you can do that for the positive. If you're going to go into tomorrow, you may as well create a world in tomorrow that's full of blessing, full of hope, full of joy, full of peace. It's the same muscle being used in the wrong way. But get this, they've been in church so long they know that before they say, we're going to drown. They say, master, master. <laughs> master, master, we're going to die. <laughs> Come on, I want you to see the juxtaposition of the verse. Master, master, we are going to drown. Don't act like you ain't never been in church. <laughs> Spent 20 minutes singing. Master, master, and then we take up the offering and your bank account becomes your master. Don't act like, don't act like you can't put yourself in the shoes of these disciples. Who, he's master in lip service, but he's not the master of your mind. He's not the master of your heart. He's not the master of your thoughts. He's not the master of what you focus on. He's not the master of the things that, that pull you into anxiety. Here's what I want to teach you. Come on. Faith is not just an automatically positive thing. Faith is going to work for you or worked against you. Jesus wakes up and he says, where is y'all's faith? Because he wakes up and he feels the power of faith operating on the boat. But the only problem is the, their faith is not in the word that he spoke. Their faith is in the storm that they can see. Oh, how many times has your faith been in the negative doctor's report? Your faith been in the obstacle. Your faith's been in the problem. Your faith has been in the issue. Come on, if, if we were to survey your small group, all, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, all you talk about is how much weed your son smokes. That's all you talk about. No, nobody got kids that smoke? Okay, cool. <laughs> My church back in Dallas. Okay, y'all are perfect. Okay, cool. <laughs> You've given all your attention, all your focus, all your faith to what? The problem. Can, can we go deeper? You sure that was about 25 of y'all? Can we go deeper? Okay, here we go. I don't know if anybody's ever had Italian food. I don't know if there's any Italian people in the room. I don't want to offend no Italian people. But we got to be real. All Italian foods like the same five things. The starchy, noodly thing. If you leave it flat, uncut, is lasagna. You cut it up into strips of spaghetti. Okay, so some starchy, noodly thing. Sauce. Al 
Alfredo, marinara, some sauce, meat, bread, and cheese. You got those five ingredients, you can make anything. If it's Italian, you can make it with those five things. Those five things, you can get pizza out of that. You can get spaghetti out of that. You can get lasagna out of that. You can get anything Italian out of those five things. Here's what I want to help you with. God doesn't make meals for you. He just gives you ingredients. All he does is he gives you imagination, creativity. You can make the meal of faith that brings life, or you can make the meal of anxiety that brings death. That is totally up to you. And we got so many Christians rebuking anxiety instead of harnessing the power of your imagination and harnessing the power of your mind. I don't need to rebuke anxiety. No, 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 no. I need to get control and discipline over the tool that God has given me. And I need to begin to say the enemy's not going to hijack the imagination and the creativity that God has blessed me with. I'm going to use the imagination and the creativity that God has endowed me with. Oh, I'm going to begin to see my community different. I'm going to see my church for the vision that God's given my pastor. Oh, no, I am going to begin to see generational curses break off of my family because I'm going to have faith. Come on, can we keep preaching? Y'all tired? Come on, can we get? I got seven minutes and 56 seconds. Come on, let's do this. Can we redefine one more word? Come on, we just redefine anxiety. Anxiety is the proof that you're creative. Anxiety is the proof that you're creative. You can't even be anxious without an imagination. You can't even lend your mind to the enemy without first being an imaginative, creative person. I hope for some of you in the room, that brings you hope. Because you felt so guilty for the fact that you have anxiety. You don't need to feel guilty. Guess what, that just makes you human. I bet if we, there's nobody that's never felt anxiety. Come on. I was talking about parenting to one of my friends, and I was like, hey, uh, describe a parent that's never been anxious. And I, and, they, and I said back, that's a bad parent. Every good parent is anxious. We brought that little sucker home from the hospital. I was like, is he breathing? Every couple of minutes. I was like, is he alive? Is he okay? <laughs> Did we swaddle him too tight? <laughs> Come on, let's redefine one more word. You ready? Do we have a picture of my family? Do we have a picture of the family? I'm talking about my wife and son. I don't know if, I don't know if we sent a picture. I don't know. We may not have sent a picture. I really don't know. Oh, there we go. That's my son. He's about to be two years old. His name, you ready for this? Is Theophilus. That's in the Bible, y'all. <laughs> Theophilus. It means lover of God, friend of God. Anyway, that's my little guy right there. Um, you can't, you can't, like, I gave him the name Theophilus, because if he ever wants to go to the club, somebody's going to have to check his ID, and they're going to be like, bro, you, do, you belong in a library. What are you doing? You, you can't be up in here sinning. Your name is Theophilus. I gave him a name so he can fit in in certain spaces and not fit in in other spaces. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> name like Theophilus. It's like, go, go get a doctorate like your daddy, please, and just be quiet. Your name is Theophilus. You can't even sin good. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, come on. I got ADHD. Let's go. Here we go. Let's redefine one more word. Because I want to give you a new paradigm. I don't just want to give you new thoughts. I want to help you to get a new mind. Okay? So let's redefine one more word. Worry. What is worry? Worry is the proof that you can meditate and focus. I've had ADHD my whole life, okay? 
uh, and sometimes super spiritual Christians, they come up to me after service and they're like, stop declaring that you have ADHD, Pastor Manny. And I go, you just told me you think it's a negative thing. I never said it was a problem. ADHD has only ever been a problem for my teachers, ain't never been a problem for me. <laughs> Some of the parents in the room, come on, let your kids be free, please. Let me help you, let me help you. you ain't, I never met a seven-year-old who's just so stressed out about their ADHD, no. I've met seven-year-olds who are stressed out about how their parents respond to their ADHD. Let, the kid is only stressing out your teacher. The, the kid is not stressed. Your kid is perfectly happy and fine. God could have made me neurotypical if he wanted me to be neurotypical, but God didn't design me ooh, to be the answer to neurotypical problems. He designed me to be an author. He designed me to be an entrepreneur. He designed me to be a leader. Yeah, I was bad in school, but I'm good at life. So uh, there you go. <laughs> ADHD is only a problem for my administrative assistant. <laughs> Here we go. What is worry? You know what, you wanna know what works better than any ADHD medication I've ever been on? And I've been on a lot of them. Don't say Jesus. <laughs> Worry. Oh, let me be stressed out about something. It overrides the ADHD. If I'm stressed, guess what? I meditate on that problem. Oh, I focus on that problem. Worry has the ability to center my focus. Can I encourage you today, guess what? Worry is just the proof that you've got the right ingredients, but maybe you've been making the wrong meal. Because worry is the proof that you can meditate, and you can focus, and you can hone in on something. Oh, and, and you, your mind can lock hold on to something and not let it go. Which means if you can worry, you can worship. Because what is worship? Worship is meditating on the goodness of God. Worship is focusing on the goodness of God. Worship is hyper-focusing on the fact that God is strong and mighty to save, that God is a deliverer, that God is more than able, that God is a provider, that he's peace, that he's joy. Oh, I, when I worship, I am centering my focus. So I don't need to rebuke worry. I need to what? Harness the power of my mind to do what God has declared that my mind has the ability to do. Here we go. So where was their faith? We're going to close both tabs. Their faith is in the storm. Why does Jesus rebuke the storm? Here we go. Let's dive in. Throughout the Bible, Satan has only ever wanted one thing. For any Bible nerds in the room, you know exactly what Satan has wanted. Worship. Right? Yeah. Come on, tell me if I'm in the book. Come on. I need a black church mama to be like, nah, son. <laughs> what, get, what got Satan kicked out of heaven? He wants to receive glory instead of reflect glory. By the time Satan gets to the wilderness to tempt Jesus, what does he say? If you would just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kings of the earth. The enemy knows you are too saved to just show up at your doorstep knock on the door with a Ouija board with some horns and a pitchfork talking about will you worship me all of us would be like absolutely not especially the black people <laughs> black people don't play with demons my, my cousin dealt drugs his whole life but when it came to demons he was like nah bro I got a line it's like you deal drug anyway black people don't play when it comes to demons okay <laughs> so what does the enemy do he knows you would never worship him Horns, pitchfork at your front door? No. 
So he wraps himself up in the winds and the waves of life. He wraps himself up in the storm that's raging out of control in your life. So that's why Jesus doesn't just say, peace be still and calm the storm. He rebukes the storm because Jesus has enough discernment, not just to sense their faith, but to realize that their faith is fueling the enemy who wants to receive worship and has always lusted after worship. The enemy knows how to get you to worship him. It is not by Ouija boards. No, no, no. It's not by Satan. No, 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 no. Not for most of us. For most of us, it's just stress, worry, anxiety, and giving your focus. Whatever you focus on is what you worship. Whichever, whatever you focus on is what you give your faith to. Here we go. So where should their faith have been? I'll tell you exactly where their faith should have been. Give me Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Are you learning anything in church today? I hope this is setting some people free. I hope that this is encouraging and helpful to somebody today. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. One day, Jesus. One day, Jesus. Okay, faith comes by and hearing by the word of. So anything Jesus is what's supposed to fuel my faith what does Jesus say let us go over to the other side of the lake they get in the boat and they start moving to the other side of the lake and in the middle of their journey they hit a storm can I tell you I want to prepare you what your response needs to be when you encounter the storm in the middle of your journey you need to look at the storm don't give it your focus don't give it your faith don't give it your worship don't give it your attention you need to ask the storm one relevant question storm are you the other side of the lake? Because God is not a man that he should lie. Or the son of man that he would change his mind. Whatever God said, he's going to bring to pass. And if God said we get into the other side of the lake, then this storm is simply here to distract me and to block me from where God wants to bring me. I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and we're going to get to the other side of the lake. The reason he can sleep, here we go, let's close the second tab. The reason he can sleep, he'll never fall asleep until he has first spoken a word to get you to your intended destination. His word never returns to him void. It's funny, it's the last story I'll tell. It's funny, I was, first two years of college, rough for me. I, I walked away from the faith, stopped going to church. I was in a relationship I shouldn't be in found myself making a whole bunch of dumb mistakes that I shouldn't have been making. And I remember I went to my mom's house. Now, my mom is a traditional black church mama. She can see sin. Like, she, she smells sin. Anybody ever been around these people? They just like, you, you almost don't want to be around them because you know you in sin, and you're like, please don't prophesy over me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I'm around my mom, and I'm in her living room. She starts reading my mail. And then she says these words, but I'm not scared. Oh, I'm not scared. I know you're going through a storm right now. You've walked away from the faith. You haven't been in church. And she went to her bedroom, and she grabbed a journal from when she was pregnant with me. And she said, when, you were, when I was three months pregnant with you, God told me you were going to be a prophet to the nations. 
Oh, when I was five months pregnant with you, God told me, God, I got a vision of you holding a microphone, speaking to stadiums of people. Oh, when I was six months pregnant with you, oh, I got a dream. I got a download from God that he had separated you, that his hand was going to be on you, that you were going to be a minister. So I get it. You're going through a storm right now, but nothing can take away the fact that God spoke to me before I even gave birth to you. I'm rooted and I'm planted in what God said over your life. I'm not distracted by how wayward you are and how prodigal you are. I wonder, is there anybody in the room today? The Holy Spirit needs to remind you of the words that God spoke over your life because the storm wants to steal all of your attention and all of your focus and the storm wants to get your devotion. But we declare we're not just going to calm the storm. We rebuke the storm today and we declare that the voice of the storm is not going to be louder than the voice of God that's already spoken a direction over your life. Oh, I need a good amen in church today you're going to get to the other side of the lake you're going to get to the other side of the lake I can go into more detail but I'm going to do that at the five let me tell you how you can get a copy of Brainwashed for free Um, I'm three minutes over time so I need to talk fast Uh, I want to give you a copy of Brainwashed for free Uh, and during the pandemic we, we do about 70 speaking engagements a year and then COVID-19 hit, Tom Hanks got it, and we all kind of just went home. <laughs> that was the straw that broke the camel's back. That's when Tom got it. Tom got it, we all just went, yeah, let's just go home. Let's just stop. We got 35 cancellations in one weekend, I'll never forget. I'd quit my job in December 2019. Holy Spirit could have given me like a heads up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I quit my job to travel full time. I felt called to do what I'm doing today encourage churches all over the world. We'll be in Brazil in a couple of months. We've been in Australia, London. I mean, we travel all over the world. And um, pandemic hit, and I'd always been challenging people to not focus on what you don't have, but focus on what you do have. And then the Holy Spirit started telling me that. And I went, that's not how this works. I get to preach. You just, you know, (laughs) I preach to people. You don't preach to me, you know? Um, Holy Spirit, I'm I'm depressed. You know, our savings account is dwindling. I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. Holy Spirit says, what do you have? He's like, well, I got a garage. I have a camera. I have a master's degree. And I got a bunch of young adults at our church that are deconstructing. And um, for whatever reason, they are like listening to TikTok theologians instead of like what the pastors have to say. And the Holy Spirit says, yep, you got all the ingredients to make a meal that I want you to make. So we launched out in faith and we started a ministry called ARMA, A-R-M-A. We started a subscription-based theology program so that people could actually learn the Bible. At first, we just did it for our church. I saw all these young adults deconstructing. I knew I had a master's degree. I was interested in getting my doctorate degree. And I thought to myself, man, the average Christian doesn't have the time to go to seminary, but what if we could take a seminary-level education and provide it for $13 a month? All the young adults started signing up. We did Matthew, then we did Mark, then we did Luke. We did John. Our courses were about two and a half, three hours, but every session was just 12 minutes. I just challenged everybody to spend 12 minutes with me every day. Well, fast forward to today, it's crazy how God does stuff. We have 2,000 monthly subscribers that pay us $13 every single month and spend about 12 minutes with us. And we have 11 employees. Cam, who is one of those employees. I love you, Cam. Um, 
crazy how I was scared I wasn't going to be able to pay my mortgage and God launched an entire ministry out of my garage. So actually, I want to invite you today to become an ARMA subscriber. My subscription is 13 bucks a month, but really, it's not the 13 bucks a month that I'm after. It's the 12 minutes every day. If the Bible has ever been scary or intimidating to you, I want to help teach you the Bible in a way that's not intimidating. I'm a very entertaining communicator, but underneath all of the jokes and the entertainment is a nerd. By this time next year, I will be Dr. Manny Arango. And I love taking high-level biblical ideas and making them palatable and making them really, really easy to understand. Our homosexuality course has helped hundreds of parents. No exaggeration. Hundreds of parents, even more youth pastors and next-gen pastors. Our Deuteronomy course is my favorite course on the platform uh, because Jesus quotes Deuteronomy more than any other book of the Bible. And if you don't understand Deuteronomy, you probably don't understand Jesus. And if you don't understand Jesus, you may not be following him. Okay, no shade. There's a QR code up on the screen. Uh, if you hit that QR code, you can sign up. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Um, 13 bucks is nothing. We were in San Diego a couple uh, weeks ago, and a guy came up to us and said, last year you came to our church, and I made the best decision of my life. He said, I canceled my Netflix subscription, and I got an Arma subscription. And he said, I have become biblically literate in the last year. The Bible used to be scary to me. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to interact with the Bible. But 13 bucks a month and 12 minutes a day has actually helped me to be a confident husband and a confident dad. I'll show a picture of this kid named Xavier. Uh, Xavier, I met his parents in Vegas. Uh, his dad's name is Chris. His mom's name is Jasmine. And uh, they came up to me after church service just like this. And they said, we just want to lead our family better. Do you think an armor subscription could help us? And I said, yeah. You can teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You can't, you can't expect that your kids are going to love the Bible if you don't, you don't love the Bible. So they got an Arma subscription, and they started watching Arma every day. And guess who started watching it with them? Their five-year-old son, Xavier. Well, after a couple of months, Xavier said, I want my own subscription. I don't want to watch with y'all no more. So Xavier got his own subscription. That is Xavier sitting at Starbucks watching me teach our course on John that's three hours long. To date, Xavier is no longer five, he's now six, and he has watched every course on our platform. And guess what? We won't have to repair that kid because we've prepared him with a biblical worldview. I challenge you, do not send your kids out into the world to be indoctrinated by the world's theology if you don't give them something that's biblical to anchor them into the word of God. You can throw up that QR code. If you sign up for ARMA today, We'll give you a free copy of Brainwashed, and we'll give you other, there's some other gifts at the table that we can give you. Um, I'd love for you to sign up. Who's sold? You're like, you know what? Yeah, like I can, 13 bucks a month, 12 minutes a day, I, I, I'm, I'm in. Um, if you come out to the booth, we'll get you signed up at the booth if you're not techie. If you're techie, just hit the QR code. You can sign yourself up. Come on, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. The worship team can join me up on the stage. God, we thank you that you're in the room. God, we thank you for your presence. God, we even... We just want to rebuke the storm that's happening in our life right now. God, if there's a storm that's raging out of control, we speak peace over every storm in the room. And with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, let me be honest with you, friend. You'll never be able to harness the power of your mind if you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. The very first step to being mentally healthy. We've got a world that loves to focus on mental health. But mental health starts with surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus. 
I firmly believe that. If you're in the room today and you don't identify as a Christian, but you want a clean slate, you want a new start, you want to surrender your mind, you want to surrender your thoughts, you want to surrender your feelings to the Lordship of Jesus so that you can be cleansed of your sin and get a new start. If that's you with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, you just wave at me wherever you are in the room. You're not a Christian, but you want to be. Just wave at me. Just throw your hand up. Just wave at me. You're not a Christian, but you want to be. You're not a Christian, but you want to be. Just wave at me. Just wave at me. And we're going to pray for you. Come on. We're going to pray this together as a community. Everybody in the room, repeat after me. I don't want anybody feeling singled out. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me and dying as me. You died in my place. So I thank you and I surrender my life to you. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are Lord. You died, you rose from the dead, you ascended to heaven and you're coming back. I give you my life. I, come on, I, I am a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Come on, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, we welcome you to the family. Hey, Soma Church, I love you so much. I'll see you at the five if you're coming back. Come on, let's stand up and worship. I'll be in the back signing books and high-fiving people. I love you. Come on, let's worship.